0: So in this week's Pasha and Pashva Yaishiv we learn the story of Yehida and Tumor, um, who was ready to get killed, not to embarrass Yehida. And Chazal teaches us that we learn from this that Noyach Atma right causing someone to be ashamed is something so severe that it's better for a person Noya it's better for a person um, you know, to be thrown into a fire and be killed, not to not to shame someone. And the Gemurah brings a story of mar also a similar story, where he was um, giving tzedakah by matan he matan Besaiser didn't want the poor person to be ashamed to know who it is, and the poor person wanted to know who it was that was give, giving him the money, and he went to check out to see who it was. And when he noticed, mar noticed, him and his wife um, noticed that this poor person would be ashamed by seeing who it was, they actually did that. They jumped into a furnace, and they were makaim, the words of the Gemurah, Norech udam so I saw a verse from the Brisker which was interesting. He says, with to kill themselves? It's not like they were looking to make someone be ashamed. He did it to himself. The poor person wanted to know who was bringing him the money, and he, you know, he was snooping on them, and then he would have basically shamed himself. So he says that the illusion of Chazal Is not chayiv udam the Chazal don't say that a person is obligated to do that. That we should start thinking, you know, is he obligated? Was he not obligated? It wasn't his fault this time. You know, there was no way he could have avoided it." It doesn't say that. It says, Noyach le'ludam. Noyach basically means that it's a, a person's better role. If a person wants to. It's better for a person to take his life than to cause someone else to feel embarrassed. And that's a very interesting thing. So he says, you know, if it's Noyach le'ludam, if that's what a person wants to do, it's, it's for his advantage, for his toive, then that's why, that's why Ma'arikva did that. In other words, when a person thinks in the big picture what's really better for him, it would seem that, because Allah teaching us, it's really better for you to make sure that you don't hurt someone's feelings and it's better for you to actually take your life. So it's you know, obviously a little daring and drastic, but that's what Hazal is teaching us, you know, how careful we have to be with other people's feelings. I think that I might be able to apply this lesson a little more practically. I don't know how many people are actually willing to take their lives um, you know, so as not to cause someone to be ashamed. But um, taking the idea of noyach l'udam, taking the idea of you know, this is what you want to do, it's not, it's not what you have to do, I think one of the places where you want to take someone's feelings very seriously, and we all want, even without Chazal telling us, I think, is our children's feelings. And our spouse, whoever's close to us. There are loved ones that we have very close to us who need that we should take their feelings very seriously, and we want to. We want to because they need it. We don't want to hurt anyone around us anyway. But I mean to say that sometimes, even unintentionally, you could be hurting someone because of that person's uh, emotional sensitivities And and you don't want to You don't want to because you love that person And you don't want to it because it's not good for you It's not good for you, it's not good for the people around you If you're not going to take seriously the feelings of those That you care for and the feelings of those that are very uh, Fragile and sensitive and this is a topic that I talk about often Right, Understanding sensitive children Understanding sensitive adults a Spouse, children And I think that the idea of which is a pretty drastic statement, but the idea is that you're better off really taking someone else's feelings seriously. If you're obligated or not, this is what you want to do. Because for some children, especially those sensitive souls, for them, if you don't take their feelings very seriously, you're going to end up having a problem. And the problem will be a lot harder to deal with than what you're dealing with now when you don't have the, the strength and the stamina to really care how someone else feels. So with that, I want to read three questions. I usually don't bulk them together, but all three are um, basically referring to the same idea. All three questioners are using terminology that I use, that I teach, so I guess they're all somewhat um, acquainted with my classes and my ideas. After I read all three questions, I will try to explain the question and uh, to my listeners, for those who don't understand the questions, and maybe give some kind of crash course in what I offer in my khinach course and then maybe make an offer at the end of this class as well which is also something I haven't done in the past but I think that it might be helpful and beneficial to my listeners so hang in there so let me first read all three, all three questions which happen to be on the list mamish one after the next which is why I'm putting them together I, I, I usually go in order of the questions the way they were sent in so the first one goes like this Shalom Rav okay. thank you for all your insight we are very appreciative okay. which of the courses online that you have help explain the four personalities for the children we'll get to that also our five-year-old fragile child Bli Hara, has tremendous strength and is a baksham, an amazing child we find that bedtime for him is very hard we give him the structure dinner bath story time etc but even then more often than not he just has a hard time to fall asleep he even says to me ima why is it so hard for me to fall asleep i tell him to say at times it's so hard because i am tired but I really try to be patient or even get to a point where I just let him be and do my things. I work at night. He eventually falls asleep. Does the Rav have any suggestions for this? Thank you so much. May you continue to help so many people bring the light of Torah to their homes. Okay, amen, and thank you. That was question number one. Fragile kid, has a hard time going to sleep. Try to be patient with him. Not always could I. And what do we do now? Okay. Question number two. Hi, Shimon. I have a question to ask you. We belong in a certain Kehillah. I have a five-year-old son from Kita Aleph, which is a UV, okay, sensitive child. His bus time in the morning is 8:40. If he misses it, there's another bus passing our house at uh, about a half hour later, which is a class under his age. He refuses to go on that bus. He starts to cry. Even sometimes, the other even though sometimes other kids from his class can be on that bus, he wants one of the parents to take him with a car, which we don't own one and we don't drive, so we have to call a driver. Okay, me as the father, I say. I tell my wife that even though he doesn't want to go on that bus and he will cry, but at the end of the day he loves Haider, so he will be sad for a few minutes and he will calm down. My wife says that for a UV child it's not fair to do so, and if he cries and doesn't want to go on that bus, we shouldn't force him on. If this would be once, I agree that someone can take him. However, if it can happen a few times a month, I think that we can say that for this son, clearly when he's in a good space... I think we could tell him when he's in a good space, not in the morning, when we are in a rush, that we understand that you want to go on, the, on your bus. However, if you miss it, for whichever reason, there's another bus passing and you can go on that one. I would want to know from every Groom what you think about that. Thanks in advance. Okay, that's question number two. Fragile kid, missing the bus, doesn't want to go on the next bus. Uh, what do we do about it? Okay, and now question number three. Hello, I really enjoyed the recent course. Okay, I really enjoyed the recent course. I'm assuming that this person was referring to a chenich course. Um, this question must have come on a while ago. I was hoping to ask my question, but I missed it. Okay, I had the Q&A after the course. I would really appreciate if you can answer me. My 14-year-old Yuvie feels attacked when I ask her why she did or didn't do something. I caught myself after. and would like to let her know that I understand her, but I don't feel it's in place to apologize after she attacks back with real chutzpah. What's the right approach? Thanks in advance. And tiskele Okay. So those are three questions. Uh, one was about a fragile kid and bedtime difficulty. One was a fragile kid and bus route difficulty. And one was a fragile teenager with difficulty about being accused or, or blamed for something. Okay. So like I mentioned as I was reading the questions, the UV, which uh, that's what I refer to, the ultraviolet color, which is basically uh, describing a sensitive child, is, it, there's a lot to understand about Fragility and Sensitivity in Children My Khinach course that I offer As well as my Shalom bias course But let's leave that for now on the side uh, My Khinach course for the most part Is about understanding fragile children Sensitive children, fragile children Those that are more sensitive than regular Even though many children are sensitive Most children are sensitive all people are sensitive But those that are dominated by sensitivity Are usually the ones that people struggle with most And I want to explain this so I'm going to try to give an overview. Let's call it a crash course. Mom is just in a few minutes um, to try to get the main ideas of, of, of what I offer um, so that people understand it. I'll try to apply it to these three questions. Everybody has within, within them, within their personality, their personality is made up of four components. I call it the yellow, the blue, the red, and the ultraviolet. Those that are more familiar with the Daladiosoidus know that, that that corresponds to Aish, Mai Riech, Ofer. The first one, the yellow, would be the ear the second one would be the water, the blue, the red would be the fire, and the UV would be the earth. Those four components within each person are what makes up all their behaviors, all their feelings, all their thoughts, and everything they're doing. Whenever you see somebody behaving a certain way, it usually is just about always coming from one of those four components. Um, And everybody has all four of them within them. So everybody could be behaving in different ways. So you have the yellow color, which corresponds to the, and is at the source of the, happy, and friendly part of a person. You have the blue part of a person, which is the soft, easygoing, gentle part. You have the red, which is the more aggressive and energetic and and strong and confident part of a person. And then you have that UV part of a person, which is a fragile and sensitive and emotional part of a person. We all have all four of those. Everybody can behave in a friendly and happy way. Everybody could behave, at times, in a soft and gentle way. Everybody could behave in a confident and energetic way, and everybody could behave in an emotional and sensitive way. Everybody. The difference between one person and the other, and the reason why one person behaves more of one color and style than the other person, is because of the dominance of these four components within a person. Now, every person is born with a nature, and the more acquainted you are with this, the more professional you are, the better you are at it. You can see it in smaller and younger children. And it's not changing. You can see it literally on a baby. You can see it on a toddler. It, becomes, it gets easier as time goes on to see the nature of a child. So you'll be able to notice on a child that he's, let's say, dominant blue. He's mostly the gentle, um, soft one that likes to follow and listen and thought out. And, you know, Secondary, let's say, he's yellow, so he has that friendly and happy part of him, which is also pretty noticeable. Only third is the red part, and the fourth is the emotional part. So you notice that the least. That's how that's everyone's made up. Everyone has the same four parts, but it's all about the dominance um, of which part is is strongest in his nature. Um, t- to jump to the you know, t- to the part where it gets more interesting, and that's what I want to apply over here, and there's a lot to talk about. I'm, I'm skipping now four hours of information in my course and going straight to a certain punchline which is helpful to many people, but not to everyone. So whoever wants to hear the whole thing, we'll talk about that soon. Um, but in short, just understand that if each child is going to be behaving mostly, based on whatever is dominant in his personality. So you'll have the happy-go-lucky children which are dominant yellow. You have the easy-going and gentler children that are dominant blue. You have the stronger and more confident, busy children that that are dominant red. And then you have those emotional and fragile children that are dominant UV. Every nature has its challenges. Every nature has its gifts and qualities. Every child has to be understood for who he is. If we don't take children for what they are and we try to change them and we don't acknowledge their strong points or we challenge their weak points, then everyone becomes a mess. So there's a lot to learn about that and a lot of information to be said about it. However, most people, and when I say most, ready for this? When I say most, I'm talking about 98% plus. That's a a very big number. Not 70, not 80. 98% plus situations that come my way when it comes to chinnah. There, there's other, I deal with a lot of other things as well but let's talk now about children 98% plus um, situations that come my way when it comes to Chinach whether it's young children or older children boys or girls Chzidish, Litvish, Maran, anything is almost always just about always um, the common denominator between all these situations that come my way it's almost, it's almost always dealing with a fragile child almost always and I'll tell you why the child that's not fragile, the child that's not dominated by emotions and sensitivity, is most often, being that his emotions are not dominating, they're secondary, or third, or even fourth, automatically his logic is now stronger. Which means even though he's a child, and children by definition are younger and less logical and more emotional, it's true, but as, as a whole, um, you know, the, the groups of children that are not dominated by emotion, you could reason with. You could use logic, you could try to figure out the child, you could talk to the child, you could, there's a lot more um, communication and reasoning and logic involved, and that's why most parents get it right. Most parents get it right. Unless you're, unless you're extremely irrational yourself and you're not making any sense with what you're doing, most often you'll get a kid to do something, and if not, you'll tell him a second time, and he'll, he'll realize, Well, you'll scream at him, and he, and he takes it. There's a certain typical way of dealing with people and with children, and most people are conscious of that, and they, and they figure it out. They don't talk to a five-year-old like you talk to an 18-year-old, so most often you, you figure out how to do it. When a child is dominated by sensitivity and emotions, there's no logic anymore. It's how he feels. Now it's about how he feels. Now, if he's um, feeling fine, and he's feeling wonderful, and he's feeling taken care of and respected and and, and very good with himself, that's fine. Now he's not feeling challenged or triggered, and now his logic is working just fine. And that's why you'll see a child, even though he's very sensitive in some situations, in other situations where he's feeling differently, he'll be doing just fine. As opposed to a child who's not feeling fine, and he's feeling challenged, and he feels like he do not understand him, or or, there's some emotional disconnect over there, he's a mess, because... He's, he's, he's experiencing everything emotionally and he's expressing everything emotionally and he's behaving emotionally and it's not making sense and he knows he's going to get punished for what he's doing now and he knows that uh, you know, you're going to be upset at him and he's still doing something because he, 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 can't, get a, he can't get out of that emotional um, pattern that, that he just got into he has no other way out and he can't explain it either because he doesn't know why he's feeling this way he was only born once he, he has no idea uh, how it looks from the outside from his emotional way of thinking what he's doing and what he's saying and his obnoxiousness and stubbornness makes sense Now, before I go on, I want to explain. There are many people that don't like this. They don't like labeling people. They don't like labeling children. I label them as being sensitive. That means that from now on I am always have to talk to him this way. Or from now on it means there's no hope for him to become more easygoing. Whatever it is that people don't like about this. I'm fine with it. I'm not here to tell anyone to um, buy this. It won't change regardless. This is the part that bothers me sometimes when I see that people resist understanding the child this way because... I don't want to put my kid in a box. Don't put him in a box. He's not changing because you're not putting him in the box. If you don't want to acknowledge that he's a yellow kid and that he's a happy-go-lucky child and he's a lot of friends, if you don't want to acknowledge that, it's not going to help you. <laughs> he's, not going to, he's not going to shed his colors because you're not acknowledging it. The same thing with the UV child. The, the sensitive child is not becoming that sensitive because you don't want to hear it. You can send him for therapy. You can scream at him. You can fight with him. You can do whatever you want. It's not changing. So whoever wants could um, take it for what it is and uh, uh, deal with it and and, and face reality and whoever doesn't doesn't have to but another thing I want to say when you understand that this is a nature of a child in other words one of the advantages of understanding this is a nature of a child first of all you're not looking for excuses and reasons behind somebody's uh, difficulties if this is who he is and this is what he's dealing with and this is what bothers him so that's who he is and I accept it I'd have to start playing the blame game the blame game of oh his. His Rebbe must not have done a good job and, and, and this person did that and this person... And we start looking for all kinds of things to... Instead of just acknowledging... One second, this is who he is. This is the glass child. Piece of glass. Very fragile. He's getting disturbed. It doesn't necessarily mean somebody did anything wrong to him. It doesn't necessarily mean that I did anything wrong. I don't have to stop blaming people. I'm dealing with a sensitive child. And very often people get stuck on looking who to blame for whatever difficulty a child has, especially when my well, other kid doesn't have that. So it must be. It must be nothing. It must be that this child is wired differently. Tell you something interesting that bothers me often when I see it. Um, I see so many adults that when they run into their own problems in life, they're always looking back and blaming their parents. It's it's, it's crazy. It's mumish crazy. I hear this every therapist is busy promoting this, and it's always easiest to look back. Okay, so so you, you don't have self esteem. So okay, so let's see. So probably your parents never showed you any love. I hear this from people. I, I can't. i Can't wrap my head around it. I know that there are people that grew up in abusive homes. I know there that are people that grew up in dysfunctional homes. Most people didn't. Now. Most people also didn't grow up with perfect parents. I don't know if anyone did. So, whoever's having any struggle and is looking for who to blame it on, it's great, it's a free ride. So, one, one guy tells me recently, and my, my therapist told me the reason why I'm anxious, and my parents didn't show me any love. I said, Really now? So interesting. I know your siblings. I heard from you so many th- nice things about your parents. It sounded like it was, it was just a wonderful upbringing. What, what happened all of a sudden? No, they, they did show me love, but not the right way. Uh huh. And what would be the right way? I'm not really sure. The therapist has some explanation about... This is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. Every adult who ever has any problem with themselves is going to stop blaming their parents. I, I, don't, I, can't, I can't understand it. No, your parents aren't perfect. You won't need to be perfect parents. Is that, so what? To a point where somebody tells me that his wife had some kind of emotional difficulty. She was told and, and explained that it's all her parents' fault, obviously. Um... With, with all kinds of explanations, I'm not like going into the whole thing, her parents are children of survivors, the, the whole thing, law of attachment, and a lot of it, you could write a whole book about what, what her parents did wrong, even though, personally, I don't think they did anything wrong, it's, it's funny how just with this one kid got messed up, but, but it's irrelevant. So what happened was, after months, and months in therapy, she started noticing, this woman, that her, her husband's parents aren't either the perfect, um, ultimate individuals. So if they're not either perfect, and they didn't either parent perfectly, it must be that their child also messed up. So her husband has to go for therapy, not because there's anything wrong with him, but because if he didn't have perfect parents, it must have had some effect. Now, we're not noticing the effect yet, but I think it's very important to figure out what a very sad one will do that. Now, why am I going off on a tangent? Aside from the ridiculousness, which I don't mind talking about and educating people to, to not play that blame game and not look at everyone else for their problems. And it doesn't matter if anyone did anything wrong to you in the past. You take responsibility for your life and you move on. Um, but it's funny how when children have issues and parents see their children having issues, they don't play that same blame game and say, oh, it must be me. Because if my problem is all my parents' problem, then my kids' problem must be my problem. No. Now it's the teacher, now it's the neighbor, now it's the the principal, now it's the manal, and the... Re- hey, that's not fair. You're the perfect parent? Anyway, my point is just that when it comes to emotional children, that emotionalism and that sensitivity is almost always at the core of the issues that, that, that the child's dealing with, the difficulties that you're... That you're bumping into, especially if it's one child more than the other, and those sensitivities and fragilities are things that you don't always understand because you 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 see them, you see the outcome of them, but you don't see that sensitivity. The kid looks the same as the sibling. Why is he getting so stuck? Why is he so obnoxious? Why doesn't he want to go on the bus? Why doesn't he want to get up in the morning? Why can't he go to sleep? Why why can't she take blame? And this is where we get stuck very often. So when people acknowledge that this is a nature, the first thing, the first advantage is they stop playing the blame game and they stop trying to change the kid they acknowledge, wow, this is really not changing. Okay, let me learn to deal with it. Just recently, I was talking to a, a young man about, about a strong bias. After reading my book, and he started realizing certain characteristics in his wife that he thought for sure he would be able to change. And reading my book, he started noticing that, my book, Get Along With Everyone, he started noticing that, you know, based on what it says in this book, this and this might not change. And he said, you know what, let me give it one last shot. And he came home with the most logical and, and strong arguments that he could come up with, to change whatever it was, I'm not going to go into the details, to change whatever it was about his wife that he thought for sure that like this, maybe if she hears it like this, explained this way, and brought out this way, at the right time, and right everything, maybe this will really cause that change in her. And he's like, wow, it didn't work. Anyway, that just made him realize that it's not working. Now when you stop trying to change someone, it makes everyone happier. It makes you happier because you, you give up on that. You finally accept the person. You make that person happier because you finally accept them. And now you're finally equipped with the awareness and the acceptance to go look for a normal solution, to deal with whatever it was that you... Sometimes the whole solution is just acceptance. Accept the person you married, it's fine. But sometimes you actually, there is what to do. Now, in short, again, I have hours of information to talk about this, but let me say in short. There are those people that when they realize they're dealing with a fragile, inflexible, stubborn, obnoxious, whatever whatever it looks like, within whatever form and shape it's coming at you, when you're dealing with such a child, that glass child, some people fight it, because they can't handle it. They can't handle it. the kid's not doing what they should, or what they said they should. Some people allow it. Because they're afraid of the kid. Because because he tantrums, and he, it doesn't work, and I tell him what to do, and he just doesn't comply, and I, I, I don't have koyach for it, so I just let him do what he wants. Neither of those work, for those who tried. You fight the kid, they fight back. You ever tried bending a piece of glass? You can not bend a piece of... You can bend uh, rubber, plastic, and wood, you can not bend glass. Um... So it doesn't work, and you break it, and, and it becomes problematic. I'm not going to talk about all the problems that could come out of this. I'll talk about it in other classes. Now those that allow it to happen, right? The kid wants something, I'll buy it. He, he doesn't want to go to sleep, don't go to sleep. He wants me to take him to the casters, I'll take him to the I'll, I'll do whatever he wants. I, I don't have koyach, I just don't have koyach. Now, are you helping anyone? Are you helping yourself? Are you becoming happier by catering to his needs and being afraid of him? Is it helping the relationship? Is it helping the chinach? No. Is he becoming happier? Also not. He's becoming more self-entitled, more self-absorbed. And as time goes on, he's going to challenge you in ways that you won't be able to just let him do what he wants. And then he's going to get at you because he's so used to getting whatever he wants. And then there are people that make both mistakes. One day they fight the kid, one day they're nice to the kid, one day they're nice to the kid, one day, nice the kid, one day they fight the kid. And it's just a mess. Um, because fighting the kid basically means that you're challenging his emotions in a way that he can't handle it. He's getting all those negative messages about how bad and how whatever you think he is. Um, he's not feeling good about himself. And his stubbornness and defensiveness is just getting worked up more and more. Um, letting him do whatever he wants obviously is not good for him or for anyone. He needs that discipline. He needs you to, you know, to give him that amount of structure and, 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 and clarity that, that, that he needs, that he craves. The balanced approach that I teach and that I offer in my class, and my book, and I keep on trying in all these weekly classes that I give, I try to keep on promoting and applying the rules into whatever situation people are asking about. You want to really make the kid feel good. Both by not challenging the child Now remember, to him, because he's so sensitive, small things that to another child wouldn't be a challenge are to him very personal and very challenging. So it could be the smallest thing about blaming or accusing or trivializing something that to this kid is important, or just not being interested in him, not giving him the time, or even just telling him what to do in a commanding way where he feels stifled and and, uh, controlled. So when you avoid all those things to a point where he's not feeling challenged, and not just that, but you actually give him compliments, Now I know there's a whole... there's a a lot to talk about that the UV child doesn't like to take compliments but if you can make him feel good however it is by showing him how special he is how important he is how much you how highly you think of him and how much you need him and how much you respect him age appropriately when you can give him all that good feeling and be careful not to hurt his feelings so now you're already in the ball game you already accomplished a lot but if that's going to cause you to be afraid of the kid and not be able to tell him what you want to say anymore because now you know you don't want to step on his feelings that's also no good at the same time you want to show him that you're not afraid these are the boundaries this is where I'm going to let you be in control of yourself, make your own decisions. However, I'm not going to let that control me and my decisions. There's a certain strength and confidence that it comes with. So when you ask me to buy you something, instead of making the mistake of right away going to buy it, and instead of making the mistake of saying, oh, yeah, again, you're asking, you're never happy, why do you want it? Nobody has it, nobody needs it. Instead of doing anything challenging, there's a, there's a middle way. And the balance is, wow, tell me more about what you want. I'm so happy to hear about it. You really are a good boy. You really deserve something. Let me think. I'm not ready to buy now. Uh, in a few days, I'll remind you about it. You don't have to come to me. And if I'm not going to buy you what you want, maybe I'll come up with something else. And that's also very important sometimes to show a child that oh, on my terms, I'm willing to make you feel good. But no, whatever it is, there's a certain balance necessary. And it takes a lot to explain the balance and apply the balance. And like I said, the hours of information um, that, that I offer about this. Now, as children grow older, the leverage changes. With a five-year-old, he's so dependent on you that it's very easy to, to implement those boundaries in a respectful and, and sensitive way. Because the kid needs you. He can't get to Haida without you. He can't have supper without you. As the kid gets older, by the time he's 12, um, it's a little less leverage. He still needs you for a lot of things, but he can get his hands on a few dollars without you. By the time the kid's 18, you, you definitely have to know where you're holding with a child to know what kind of boundaries and what kind of uh, confidence you could really be showing. But that's, again, um, something about a, a, a topic of its own. There's another whole thing that I just want to throw in here about not letting chenich challenges become from bias challenges, and that's something that I spoke about in the past more than once, and something to think about, especially when it comes to sensitivities with children and spouses and all that. I'm just throwing it in there. In most situations, most questions people ask about UV children, it's usually either-or, and sometimes both. In other words, I can usually pick up on what's the problem with this child? Why is this child uh, not behaving properly? Why, why are you running into this difficulty? Is it because you didn't take the child's feelings seriously enough? And that's what you really have to take more seriously to not challenge the child, make the child feel good, and then he'll be able to work along much better? Or is it because you weren't firm enough? And you let the child control you and you show that you were afraid of him and that's why he's taking advantage and doing his thing. Sometimes it's the first, sometimes it's the second, sometimes it's both. So while every questioner has its own, every question, every story has its own details, everything has its own... Uh, specifics, and there's always more to talk about in every weekly class, I try to throw in whatever I could that's relevant to the situation, but if you look deeply, you'll notice that whenever it's talking about UV children, sometimes spouses as well, sometimes spouses as well, um, you'll notice that it's often addressing mostly one or the other. It's usually addressing either the fact that you're trying to make someone feel even better and then you win them over, or by not challenging them, or by being uh, more firm and more, and more tough and more uh, confident. So, with that said, let me now try to address these three questioners after that uh, introduction. The first questioner, whoever wants to listen again to the beginning of your class, I'm not going to read it again. But let me just, let me just say um, a few points over here. The first thing is that you write that Bukh Hashem, your five-year-old, is Bliya and Hara, an amazing child. Okay? That's wonderful. And it really is. It's wonderful that you see him that way, make sure he feels that way. just throwing it in there for a UV kid for a fragile child to feel like an amazing child takes more than for you to tell it to me very often people say it I think my kid's amazing but does the kid think you're amazing? does the kid think you think he's amazing I mean to say? and very often I ask parents that if I would ask your child what you think of him would he say my parents think I'm amazing or he would say my parents think I'm difficult food for thought Um, another point that you mentioned I'm just going to pick up on it is the fact that you mentioned my 5 year old has tremendous strengths now I don't mean to catch you on your words. I just want to throw it in because it's something important for people to hear. Very often people make the mistake of telling children how capable they are or how amazing they could be. And for most people, that's considered a compliment. I, I see in you such capabilities. For fragile children who take things very sensitively, that could often be a very strong message about, you know, you're really a disappointment. You could be so great, you're not. So it's important not to give that message of a child of, if only you were this, then you'd be a good kid. You want to make a kid feel like he's good already and of course to become even better. Okay. Now, the main point over here, what I was talking about earlier, the balanced approach necessary with a child who has difficulty falling asleep, I think the main point, the main point, now obviously you want to make a child like that feel like a million dollars for sure, but the main point is that he shouldn't be controlling his bedtime ritual and his difficulty falling asleep, shouldn't be controlling his parents. The fact that he can't fall asleep doesn't dictate that you have to sit on his bed for an hour and not get to your work and get nervous and get impatient. Now, obviously you want to deal with it in an age-appropriate way and, and do whatever it takes... You know, to help him but but it's possible that a big part of his difficulty falling asleep is because he wants mommy near him and she'll be there as long as he doesn't fall asleep and, and why should he now I don't know if that's the answer it might be when you tell him very nicely um, so, so let's talk about the communication for a minute if you validate the difficulty you don't you don't trivialize you don't make believe it's nothing so you don't fall asleep so just lay there no I know it's hard to lay in bed when you don't fall asleep I know that there are children that don't fall asleep Um I know it's not easy. You don't want to make it sound like it's nothing and that you um, think that he could do something because of it if he can't. You might want to offer incentives for how he deals with it. If you fall asleep quickly or if you keep your eyes closed or if you don't come out of bed, I'll give you a, a, a good treat. Not something that he's demanding because that's that's on his terms. But you want, you want to show him that you care for him and feel for him and understand him and, and it means something to you that he can't fall asleep. It's not just bothering him. It's bothering you as well and that's very, very important. All on your terms, whatever it is that you're ready to offer and whatever it is that you're ready to... Um, now, if you say this not as he's going to bed, you say it an hour earlier. One of the big rules with the UV child to not talk, to not say something when it's challenging in the moment. That's very important. She's so saying it an hour earlier when you can hear it, and you can be very clear with him. Mommy will come to your bed in 15 minutes. After 15 minutes, mommy's busy. Mommy will go work. After an hour, mommy will come check on you to see if you're sleeping yet. If he's clear about what it is and what it's not that you're going to tolerate, instead of you being nervous and 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 edgy, and him getting nervous and edgy because every night there's different rules, there's structure. It's clear. Very often, that will be a big part of helping him fall asleep. Let me tell you that much. Now, aside from that, practically speaking, you could talk to a doctor. You could, you know, you, uh, There are many things you can do to help a child fall asleep. That's not my expertise. You can give him some melatonin. You could change some uh, routine and schedule or diet or whatever. I, I don't know. what. I don't know. You, you could talk to people about how to, let a, how to help a kid fall asleep faster. But I, I do feel that by addressing a UV child the way he needs to be addressed with a proper balance... I think it would be helpful for him, and helpful for you no matter what, regardless of how fast he does go to sleep. Let's go on to the second question, and that is about the kid who has a problem going on the younger bus. So first of all, let me just mention, this is very normal, very, very normal for a child who is sensitive to be ashamed of going with the baby bus, um, seeing that other kids are okay with it, other kids in his class, like you mentioned, or telling him, how come other kids are fine with it? That's not going to get you anywhere. I think, on the contrary, I think you want to validate and understand that it's not bat'amt. It doesn't mean that he doesn't have to go on it. Just explain that you understand that it's not gishmak for him to go on that bus. It's fine. It's important that he knows that you understand him. Sometimes by knowing that you understand him, that alone could take care of a lot. Um, I'm not going to go into more detail about that, but just recently I was dealing with a situation where it was amazing to see how when somebody felt understood, it solved all the problems. Baruch Hashem, as I predicted it would, and it looked like there was so much difficulty, but just all all the child... What the adult needed was to feel um, validated and understood. And it's important. I think a child deserves to feel understood, especially a fragile child. Now, I do think that the main part of the problem over here is is the boundary issue. I'll I'll tell you this. It seems like... I I could be totally misinterpreting. Don't don't take me wrong. Nothing personal. It seems like the main part of the problem is that it's okay for him to miss the bus. It happens every once in a while. Um, It seems like it's an option to miss the bus. When he doesn't miss the bus, there is the option of taking uh, car service. If it could happen like that, and there's no structure, and he doesn't see that you know, his missing the bus won't dictate that anyone now go do anything about it, I believe he'll miss the bus less. That's what I believe. And I've seen that happen many times. The, the second he doesn't have to make his bus, why should he? Now, I know I understand many times he does. But, but why should he if he doesn't have to? And very often what makes a person be able to is when they have to, and they don't have another option. So I, I think it's very important... I think the fact that there is another option just makes it easier for him to miss the bus. Now, you want to help him out by either waking him up earlier or doing whatever you could to make it the easiest possible for him to do what he has to do. But I think you want to leave it for him to do. Now, I know he's only five. I know he's only five. But five-year-olds also understand um, cause and, and effect and consequences and things like that. So, like you said, I think you want to discuss it with him when it's least relevant and least challenging. I think you want to give him a few options all on your terms. The few options could be I could either wake you up earlier, I could either prepare your clothes on the bed, uh, we could either, uh, I, I could either prepare your food by night or uh, whatever it is that you want to make it easier for you to decide what you're going to do to get up on time and be ready for your bus. Okay, you could offer an incentive to be ready for the bus if you want. That's up to you. If you won't make the bus, then the other options are going to be either to go on the baby bus, which I know is very hard for you, and I, I wouldn't want you to have to, or stay home. The reason why I'm saying that is I know you probably don't want to mo, but. First of all, the fact that he likes going to Haider, which is a good thing, probably will, will no, He's not going to want to stay home. Even kids that do want to stay home, and just throw it in there, and I probably mentioned it in the past, I get this call often. My kid doesn't want to go to Haider, my kid doesn't want to go to school, my Let him stay home. Now, staying home doesn't mean that you're going to give him a, a five-star and um, three-course meal, breakfast, lunch, and supper. Of course not. You can tell very clearly. If you stay home, you stay in your room until the kids come home, and you don't go to Haider. Most often, the kids that don't want to go to Haider stay home, max, ready, max, two days. I really, really have seen that situation where the parents made believe they're going along with whatever the kid decides to do and he stayed home more than two days. They always want to go back to hide. There's nothing to do at home. So he you tell your kid, listen, I'll work along and wake you up when you want. I'll prepare your clothes when you want. Now, your options are to either go on bus number one or bus number two or if you're ready to throw it in there, you can stay home. Um, a car service is not an option. Now you could tantrum, you could scream, you could stay home, you can kick, you could lay on the floor. When he knows that you're not going to do that to him, and you say it in a soft way, not in a not in a controlling way, not screaming at him, you making him feel very good. You're trying to help him, and he sees you trying to help him. However, you're ready and capable and willing to be of help. At that point, he's going to make that bus. You're going to see. You're going to see. Now, if something extreme, there's a late chasna or whatever, you could even tell him, you know, if there's a family, you go to sleep after 12, or you get a car, you're looking to be reasonable and understanding of a child, but you definitely don't want to, you definitely don't want to just do what he wants and let him see that, that, that he's in control. Now, you ended off saying, I want to know from Rabbi Groom, what I think about it, it sounds like you want me to decide between you and your wife who's, who's right and wrong. I don't do that. Maybe I just did, but I don't do that. I don't think the way to um, deal with this, if it became a shalom bias issue is to say, well, he said I'm right. That's not the point. But I do feel that a sensitive a child who's addressed the right way and shown the right amount of love and care and good feeling and he's not challenged. I think then, after being treated the right way, you could very clearly put down you know, the, the, the boundaries and the rules of, of the game and he's going to be helped and be able to get up earlier. Now, the third one, who's a teenager who feels attacked when you ask her why she, didn't, she did or didn't do anything. I think in this case, both parts of the UV treatment, both parts of that balance are probably very important. I don't know if she's feeling so defensive the first time you're asking her something um, just because she can't handle when you blame her or accuse her, which is also typical of somebody fragile, or because there's a much bigger picture where she really feels more challenged in general and she doesn't think you think too highly of her and the relationship is a little sour and that's why she's feeling so, so triggered and so uh, vulnerable and so defensive. So I, I think it's very important to really understand how much you could make this child feel good all over the place, before and after such incidents, you know, to try to make her feel very good. I think that awareness helps a lot. Awareness helps a lot. I I often tell people, you don't break a glass too often. Certainly not as many times as you drop a tissue. And it's not because you're dropping tissues on purpose. Nobody likes to bend down and pick up a tissue. But it's because awareness of how fragile something is just makes you think twice before you challenge um, that, that fragility. You don't lean on the window. You're careful. So as time goes on, the more you understand this concept, the more you think about it, it happens almost by itself. To a point where somebody was coming to me lately and he was learning about different fragile people around him um, and becoming aware of it he was shocked he tells me three weeks later to notice the change in the atmosphere in the relationship without him even being too conscious of what he was doing differently it was just the awareness of oh I'm dealing with somebody who's extra sensitive okay just knowing it and being conscious of it it automatically made him do things differently so yeah the answer is that you don't want to challenge your daughter and you do want this awareness and this um, insight to help you resist saying anything that could be taken wrong by somebody who take, takes things very personally now, just to answer the question, apologizing is never bad. There's never, there's never anything wrong with saying to someone, I'm sorry, I did something wrong. I don't know, I, I've spoken about this in the past. I don't think it's wrong for parents to apologize to a child, as long as you're being specific. You're not, you're not becoming their shmati, you're not becoming their child. You're, you're saying, I'm sorry, owning up. I think you're teaching something very, very nice. Chutzpah, on the other hand, is, is wrong no matter what, if you're apologizing or not. I don't see the contradiction. Now, I'm not saying you should apologize every time you say something that was taken wrong. I'm saying that if you did accuse a child of something they did or didn't do, or you said it in a nice, not nice way, and they answer chutzpah, they, I don't see the contradiction between saying, you know what, I'm sorry that I answered it that way. Please don't talk to me with chutzpah, ever. I think that's part of the balance we're talking about. Being sensitive to a child, and putting the boundary down, and, and expressing clearly, if you're to you talk to me with chutzpah, I'm not going to be able to talk to you. I, I wish I could. I, I know you don't mean it. Maybe it's not even your fault. But you're not taking responsibility or blame for the chutzpah. Chutzpah is off the charts, and, 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 and something that should not be tolerated, regardless of what you said. Now, it doesn't have to be in the same sentence, and you can first talk about the chutzpah and then apologize, but I don't see it as contradiction, I think it's important for you to understand that it's not, so that you can present it that way, where apologizing doesn't mean that the chutzpah is okay, and this time I was wrong, so your chutzpah was called for, next time the other way. I think it's two separate things and should be addressed that way. But I do think that you should definitely focus much more on building your child and making this teenager feel loved and respected and needed and good, and, and, and get the appreciation for everything they do do, and have every little thing that they do be noticed, don't have to, so that you're not busy asking them why they didn't do, and things like that. Now, there's so much more to say. There really is. There's so much more to say. I haven't done this in the past, and I'm not that type of guy. I think people know that. I'm not a promotional uh, type. I rarely mention, you know, the, I'm, I'm giving these classes online for free and offering information, because I want people to be helped, and I, I like offering what I could. But because I think it would be helpful for whoever's more interested in understanding this better, and applying the information better, and hearing more about the do's and the don'ts, and and, and you know, whatever it is that could be helpful. I have a of course available in Yiddish and English. It's available for downloads, available on CD, it's available for phone access. Um, it's a it's a ten hour course. It's a lot of information with a lot of questions answered. It's a, it's, it's applied, you know, to real life situations. And if anyone's interested in it, only if anyone's interested. In it, I'm not I'm not pushing this, but this year it wasn't offered to the public in general. B'cholal, well, whoever's gonna um, contact me by email with a phone number that's rabbigruen at org. r-a-b-b-i-g-r-u-e-n at l-e-h-a-i-r dot o-r-g you can find it in the Torah anytime um, by my name Whoever's going to contact me with a phone number that they're interested in buying this course from now till Hanukkah so a week and a half um, or till the end of Hanukkah let's say I'll, I'll, I'll offer a third off a third off I want, I want people to understand it I want people to be helped I'm, I'm, it's usually a $300 course. I'll offer it for, let's call it 200 199 whatever, whatever they call these things. And if you mention that you heard this in the class, either Torah or anytime, wherever you listen to this Shir, and you want to take advantage of this special, it will be my pleasure to offer this in Yiddish or English or both. It's also something I usually don't do or both, if it's helpful for a husband, wife, or both to have access to these classes and learn more about this. So, like we started off with sometimes we, we just want to take someone else's feeling seriously not because we have to you don't, you don't have to take the janitor's feeling seriously you can walk the other way you know, make him feel bad but your children you want to help them especially the ones that need it most so whoever wants to take advantage of this and whoever wants to learn more about this and whoever wants to see what they could do to make their sensitive children who they acknowledge and they, they accept that this child is more fragile let me learn how to deal with him and or who or, or, or whoever got the information in this class and could apply it from here, you know, just using what we spoke about, it's it's just my, my pleasure and my schiz that the children feel more more understood, parents are more equipped, and that we bring out the best of every child and see from all of them.